Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I'm really excited to be with the um, developer, the physician who, who researched and figured out the uh, Atrantil product. And I know a lot of us have been using it in practice for our um, C methane SIBO producers. And, and we're just going to get the backstory on who he is and, and how he came up with this product and some of the research he's done around it. And we're also going to look forward into where he's going. Um, so let me tell you about him. His name is Dr. Ken Brown. He received his medical degree from the University of Nebraska Medical School, and then he completed his fellowship in gastroenterology at San Antonio, Texas. He's, board, he's a board-certified gastroenterologist, and he's been in practice for over 15 years with a clinical focus on inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome. For over a decade, he's been conducting clinical research for various pharmaceutical companies. During this time, he saw an unmet need for something natural that could help is IBS patients find real relief. After working on the development of Atrantil for over six years, uh, Atrantil launched in the summer of 2015. Dr. Brown and his research team developed Atrantil with the intent of helping those suffering from symptoms of IBS, which we now know are caused by bacterial overgrowth. Dr. Brown, welcome to New Frontiers. Dr. Fitzgerald, thank you so much for having me on your show. <laughs> Absolutely. So listen, I want to know about you, your story. I mean, you're a, you're actually were research, doing research for pharma. You know, you're, a, you're in the conventional gastroenterology trenches. You just told me you, you had 21 procedures today, right before I started okay. recording, which is amazing. Like you're in, you're in the deep, deep trenches and you pull your head up from doing this, you know, pharma research, et cetera. And then you're like, wait. I want to actually do something natural here for my patients. So how did you, I mean, talk to me about that, that journey. So this journey all started over 10 years ago. I'd actually been doing clinical research for big pharma. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was for-profit research is the kind of things that these pharmaceutical companies need. They need the numbers to be able to present to the FDA. So I'm doing all this research, and that's when I met Dr. Mark Pimentel, and he was the, uh, uh, yeah. you know, a brilliant man that figured out, oh my goodness, IBS is actually linked to this thing called bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. Mm -hmm. The SIBO has been embraced fantastically by the functional medicine community, a little slower in my traditional world over here. But he's the first guy that showed these models of this. When I was sitting there doing the research for Zyfaxin, it was at that time wow. that he told Look, you're going to, we were actually, I was one of the leading enrolling sites for that, for those original studies. That got oh, published. isn't that fascinating? Cool. Okay. Yeah. So that was my, that was my dive into, I mean, like the, I just jumped right off the diving board into the world of pharmaceutical research. And next thing you know, I'm like one of the leading enrolling sites and I'm just one guy with my research manager and a few partners in, you know, a suburb of Dallas. You go, wow, this is kind of interesting that um, this, these are how these studies are conducted. I'm doing a very real world trial on this. And a lot of these academic centers, unfortunately, may not represent the type of person that you're going to see in your clinical practice because right. it's a little bit different. So I'm doing this research. Dr. Pimentel and I were talking. And one of the frustrating things I was having was that all these people that were bloated and constipated were not getting better. Yes. And that's when he explained to me, he goes, well, this is the, here's the reason. Nobody knows this yet, but there's this, bacterium-like thing called an archaeobacter. And obviously we now know it's in its, its own kingdom. It's its own type of bacteria, the archaeobacter. And it is a methanogen. It is a bacteria that will soak up hydrogen and produce methane. He goes, our modern day antibiotics will not work on this organism because it's a primitive organism. So the drug that we're looking at right now, Zyfaxin, doesn't help those people. Mm -hmm. So I drew that out and I went, wow, it's methane. It all comes down to methane. So my research manager, who was working with me at the time, Brandy, she comes from a very unique background. She is actually a former policy writer because she went to law school and did a master's in, um, in policy. She pointed out that that's what they were working on to put in feeds for cattle in the Midwest. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And it was like this kind of aha moment where I just looked over and went, you're kidding, right? And she's like, no, no, no. We were talking about this eight years ago uh, with Senator so-and-so because they're trying to decrease methane production from cattle. 
Like, get me all that data. Let's look at all that. So we just started sifting through all that. So I spent about four years looking at all this. So this is kind of a two-step reason why this product actually got developed. Yeah, do tell. So so I'm looking at all this, and then it always takes some sort of, um, you know, deep gut check to get people to really take the big leaps. So it was, um, so 10 years ago, we discovered this four years, we're kind of looking at all the data and I'm just treading through it. I'm just, I kept talking about it when I'd come home and I have two kids. And so six years ago, I take my son to a tennis tournament and he's six years old and I get a call from my web developer and he said, Hey, sorry to inform you, but somebody put a bad online review about you. And they mentioned something about you supposedly supposed to be a very good doctor in irritable bowel syndrome and you just did the same thing everybody else did so there i am watching my six-year-old son play tennis and i get this thing where i'm like you know kind of challenging my whole core of everything right so my son ends up getting he's six mind you he's six this is his first tournament this isn't a you know giant and we we get we get in the car after the tournament he got second place and we're driving home and he goes boppy do you not like tennis said, I've, I, I love tennis. I'm so proud of you. You got second place in your first tournament. That's awesome. He goes, well, why were you on your phone all the time? Ooh. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I explained to him, I said, well, unfortunately, somebody said that I wasn't a very good doctor. And they said that I wasn't treating the thing I do research on very well. And then he just called me out right there. He said, why don't you treat people in the way that you want to? Because you're always talking about how you have a different way. And then why don't you get your other patients who like you to say nice things about you? (laughs) From the mouth of babes. Pretty much sums it up right there. So six years ago was my immediate turn. And um, it took my son to basically call me out. And that's when we started making Atron Teal. That's when I really went, okay, I do have something else to offer. And we're going to change, we're going to change the world with this. Well, it it takes guts on many, many levels. I mean, it's pretty, you know, kudos to your son, but you know, there's a few things here. A, you had to design the product. It's great that you happen to have, you know, this bridge to the world of ruminants. I mean, incidentally, just as an aside, when we look at data for the most bioavailable mineral complexes, that comes from um, looking at animal studies as well, because they're paying attention to the feed. Like they don't want to waste money on products that don't work. They want bioavailable minerals. So when you want to look for the complexes that are most bioavailable, that's where they, we, we looked at all the original data. So it's like, I see a, a very compelling parallel. Um, but anyway, there's a few things that I can see you're jumping through. A, you're going, you know, front and center in the medical world, in the conventional medical world with this alternative product, which is really gutsy. A, you know, B, you're designing it. You have to figure out what to do. And C, you actually conducted your own research studies, which I want to make sure that we talk about. Because as you and I were talking before on the phone, um, you know, prior to starting our podcast, it's expensive. I'm actually in the middle of doing a clinical research study myself now, and it is super expensive, and there's no funding. There's massive amounts of funding, as you pointed out, in pharma research. So you had to put a, there's a lot on the line here for you uh, in developing this product. So um, just, you know, comments on that, and then we'll talk about what it was like when you finally brought it in. Absolutely. To actually take it from this idea um, put it to the test, ask your patients to take a leap of faith with you, mm-hmm. do, these, do these clinical trials, mm-hmm. hope that the numbers come out, uh, everything that goes along with it, everything was this leap of faith. But what was so amazing is that when we started seeing results, when I would start having those first patients come in in our double blind placebo controlled trial, and it was, I'd done enough trials, we've been doing it for 10 years that I knew when somebody was probably on placebo and somebody probably wasn't because when you had a drug that really worked, you'd start seeing it early on. People, yeah. you know, patients come in and be like, hey, I wanna make sure that I stay on this. Well, I was getting that kind of feedback early on. And you just go, oh my gosh, now I need to, you know, you, you check your ego at the door and you go, I have a moral obligation to push yeah. this through. I know something, I have discovered something or I have at least put the puzzle pieces together to something that needs to get out there yes. and help people. And it, it felt more like a moral obligation than anything else. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I mean, I'm with a bunch of, um, I have some wonderful partners. They're wickedly smart. I love them all. 
but everybody was looking at me like, you're insane. Mm. What are you doing? Because you could sit there and go to the endoscopy lab and just scope and, you know, pay, pay your bills, consider yourself a good life. And here I am putting myself out there. Right, right, right. I, I had to go out and I raised a little bit of money in my community. I had to get in front of my colleagues and say, okay, you know, a business doesn't start with, I need your help. I need your help to support it. I need your help to raise a little bit of money. So, you know, my reputation goes out in the city and we raised some money and everything. And it all came down to one thing. I know that it helps X amount of people. Yes. I have an obligation to try and get it out there. I'm not saying it's going to help everybody. Absolutely not. We're all doctors. We all know that if you have a 10% effectiveness rate and you can help that one out of 10 person, that person loves you. And that's awesome. And that's what most drugs do. So most of the drugs that I was working with had somewhere between a two to 9% over placebo rate. That's what most drugs are being FDA approved now for. And some of those drugs are insanely expensive. Right. So right. if we can figure something out, then whether, you know, whether I risk my reputation, whether it doesn't work, at least I tried. I jumped. I got called out by a six-year-old kid, and I had to do it. That's so. a really neat story. I just really, I love it. It's a great story. Let's talk about, you know, let's just dig into a little bit of the background about, you know, this methane driven SIBO and these archaea. Like, what are they doing? What's going on at the cellular level? I mean, how, what, what's the whole pathophysiology of the, this methane SIBO? So the pathophysiology, I think that most of your listeners understand SIBO. The bottom line is if you go through stress, take antibiotics, um, have an infection, something shocks your small intestine, which should be relatively sterile, and then bacteria start to grow. Whenever you eat starches in particular, the bacteria will break that food down. Now the kicker is this whole idea of dissecting down the organism that's really wreaking the havoc. Yeah. And it's this Methanobrevibacter smithi. It is an organism that lives in our colon, so we have methane producing bacteria, in a situation where you have a high hydrogen content, this type of bacteria in its own kingdom will soak up the hydrogen and produce methane. Why the methane is relevant is because the methane works as a local paralytic. So once methane is being produced, you take a small little sewer pipe and because it paralyzes the rest of the intestine, Jeez. it makes it into a bigger sewer pipe. So now we have our cyclical thing. For years and years in my GI practice, we would have the person that would say, hey, I went on a honeymoon to the Dominican Republic. I got really sick there and I've never been right since. These people would come to me and they would be told they have IBS. Okay, so you went like 30 years normal, you have this event and now you have IBS, which is an idiopathic functional type problem. That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So the doctors were calling this, or the researchers were calling it post-infectious IBS. Now we realize it's probably post-infectious SIBO yes. creating all the problems. And just being able to tell somebody that and say, hey, it's not your fault. I mean, you ended up having this situation. So when this methanobrevibacter smithi starts setting up shop, mm -hmm. it actually goes through an enzymatic process. It soaks up the hydrogen and produces the methane. The methane slows everything down, more bacteria grow, and then this is the next layer of what's going on with bacterial overgrowth. We're creating inflammation. There is bacteria growing in the lumen of the intestines. Your body, these dendritic cells, reach up through the intestinal barrier, sample the outside world, hand it to a B cell, and it's up to the B cell to decide, is this friend or foe? Well, over time, if you have bacterial overgrowth, the B cell finally goes, this is clearly foe, let's fight it. Mm -hmm. That's the inflammatory cascade that we talk about. And I think that's the future of where functional medicine is heading, mm -hmm. realizing that health really begins and ends in the gut. And if we can protect that barrier, then we can help a lot of other systemic diseases. So the methane allowing this machine to grow is really the thing that could be the the beginning of a lot of other problems. The problems being inflammation. Yes. And as you're aware as a functional medicine doctor, inflammation is the root cause of a lot of problems, including 
well, in my world, liver disease, pancreas issues, and of course, we've got autoimmune disease. Right. Okay. So you're so you're basically fingering this displaced methanobrevibacter smithi, triggering the whole paralysis process. Basically, you know, displaced. It's up in the in the small intestines versus the the colon, and um, it just shuts things down. And this whole process is kicked off by some exposure or collection of exposures, and then people head downhill. And then there's the you know the insult, the damage of this methane production and the whole um, initiation of the inflammatory cascade and damage to the um, to the gut wall. Is that basically what you're saying? And then you can get extra intestinal conditions as a result. Yes. I mean, I'm just saying that the, that the methanobrevibacter smith eye is a key component to setting this cascade off. And yeah, so I got it. I'm not going to finger him and say it's all because of him or her. We don't know if it's gender neutral <laughs> actor. Yes, you but, should um, be PC with that. Yeah. But, yeah, go so, um, but we do know that it's one of the suspects. One of the players. It's yeah. one of the usual suspects. And then when you start realizing how complex it gets after that. So one of yes. the, I've given, um, I have a lecture that I've given to a couple functional medicine societies. And I, I, on a quick side note, it, I love lecturing to functional medicine because I learn as much as I'm, as I'm teaching. Like mm -hmm. the Q&A becomes, have you ever considered using this? And I'm like, never even heard of it. Why would I want to consider that? <laughs> and then somebody will tell me, and I'm like, I'm going to write that down. That is awesome. <laughs> I'm absolutely going to do that. So what, the way that I describe it is, you know, when we have these, we have this cascade, we have all this inner, intermingling of everything, mm -hmm. unfortunately, I think you have traditional medicine doctors that stick their heads in the sand and choose not to listen to terms like bacterial overgrowth or a leaky gut or, yeah. you know, whatever. And yeah. then you have this other population, which is um, the uninformed internet population that reads a lot of things, which are probably not, you know, completely encompassing. Let's put it that way. So we've got you know this one group of this one group that's sticking their head in the sand. We have this other group that is viewing it like this big gaping hole coming through. Somewhere in the middle lies the the real science. Mm -hmm. And I've met a lot of PhDs, and that is my next level where I'm just fascinated by. I believe that we can actually help a lot of the systemic effects of the body, yeah. brain health, all mm -hmm. that by protecting the intestinal barrier. So if we can do that. Yeah. So I'm talking to PhDs that they are doing their research on one particular cytokine in the tight junction. And their whole life is this one zonula occludens one or mm -hmm. you know, quad and A or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh my God, this is way more complex than what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to explain a general concept. So I, what I love is that we're knocking down barriers and each barrier that you knock down or each door that you walk through, you see a thousand more doors and you go, whoa, this yeah. is exciting. We yeah. are now on a new frontier here. But you know what? I absolutely agree with you. And I want to hear about your next generation thinking. But before, before we jump too far ahead, I want to just circle back to Atron Teal because the fact of the matter is it's a really cool product. And when I found it, um, a couple years ago, I was pretty dang excited. I was like, where the heck is, where, where the heck did this come from? You know, it looked creatively designed and, and we, we brought it into our practice. I don't keep actually many products here. I, we drop ship most of the things that we use to patients, but I brought that in so that we would have it handy. Cause of course we see this um, constipation SIBO all the time and you know by God it worked and it's true as Pimentel was saying you know our arsenal for how we can address it is so so limited um, so I was I was thrilled when I got wind of Atrantil and started to use it and, and and saw some decent clinical outcome with it so so talk to me about what it is let's go through the um, three botanicals and a little bit about them and let's let's start with Cabraco or actually, you want to just say the overview of what the design is, and then we'll pick it apart a little bit? 
Sure. So let's go back to, um, you know, it was the 10 years ago where we came across this and Brandy came up to me and said, we were using these, we were looking at different things in cattle feeds. Mm -hmm. So what I was privy to was a lot of information, tons, thousands and thousands of pages. And that's when I started, that's when we looked at different things. We realized this person figured this out over here. This person figured this out in this country. This person figured this out. Nobody had communicated and talked together. Mm-hmm. But what we did is we put the three ingredients together to work synergistically to get rid of this particular problem. The three ingredients are peppermint leaf. And I want to qualify that because yeah. there's lots of peppermint oils out there, but we yes. needed the polyphenols in it. The key to this thing is polyphenols. So we needed the peppermint leaf because we did not really want it to be the typical oil to get ahead. Remember when you have any type of liquid, you have what's called a linear excretion from the stomach, meaning it is a predictable amount that will leave. When you have a solid, the stomach has to process it. Hmm, so we wanted all three ingredients to sort of be together. So the peppermint goes in there, the embalsalme is uh, the uh, genus and species that we were choosing. What it does is it calms the area down. The second ingredient is by far the most important. And the thing that we have run into the biggest issue is that nobody understands what it is. It is the quebracho colorado. This is a very large, beautiful polyphenol known as a proanthocyanin. It is a tannin. You have been probably taking quebracho without knowing it. If you've ever had a beer or wine, it's in certain foods. It comes from South America. And in our research, when we were looking at this, it's the only thing that has a natural defense against fungus and archaeobacter. It's fascinating. Oh, it's super cool. It's um, it's from the bark of a tree in Argentina called Axe Breaker. And it's a very, very old tree. So it has natural defense against these things. So nobody had ever put Quebracho Colorado into a supplement before. So we were able to um, figure out it's already being produced for humans. We just were able to have this company produce it for us in a very distinct uh, extracted manner. And then what that does is that weakens the archaeobacter and the conquer tree is in there because it has a known ability to block the enzyme that produces the methane. So essentially we calm the area down with the peppermint the Cabracho works. It's a very large polyphenol. Yeah. It doesn't get absorbed. And it works because it absorbs the fuel for the archaeobacter and it weakens the archaeobacter. And then the conquer tree comes in and stops the enzymatic production. So I knew that we were really onto something when uh, there's a, um, I was at a meeting in Philadelphia a handful of years ago. And when we were, when I was really trying to launch this and thinking, you know, we've got this idea, we have this whole thing. I found a, a very brilliant man. His name is Bruce Burnett. He helps us and him and I have collaborated on some different things. He wrote this incredible article on the only article I've been able to find on the safety of polyphenols and flavonoids in intestinal health. And so I tracked this guy down. I basically stalked him. I took him out to dinner. (laughs) I got about halfway through this presentation and he just goes, I did my PhD on this. How did I miss this? He goes, that's brilliant. He's like, let me help you in any way I can. So he's been with us ever since, but it was really cool because I'm sitting there at dinner throwing, you talk about feeling a little bit insecure. I mean, this guy's a PhD that wrote the only review article on the one product that I'm going to tell him. And I, I fully expected him to say, you know, oh, you know, you missed this, this, and this. He just went, dang, that's good. <laughs> I'll help you. <laughs> wow. Wow. Isn't that, that's a, just, just, it's a neat story all around. So have they used Cabracho in um, animal feed? I mean, did they ever incorporate it or did they just do the preliminary research? It never made its way there just out of curiosity. No, they totally did. That's what's beautiful. Oh, they did. Okay, so they did. Okay, they had safety data. They had all this. Ah, they did. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. Now Bruce um, actually was working for a company at the time where they were doing something very similar, where they were taking bovine immunoglobulin. Yep, sure. Mm -hmm. And so called, you know, called Interagam. Yep. And so it was just, it was very beautiful and how this just like, you know, just, it's just weird. You, know, you sometimes wonder if there's... It's a small world. 
Like well, what's going is it a small on? World? Is it kismet? Is it fake? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, or is it just that you're paying attention and yeah. you're passionate and you're willing to make the phone calls and harass people enough till they quit ignoring you? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, a lot of us are using Interrogam too, believe me, you know, in conjunction with your yeah. product. Um, yeah. All right. So how do you, how are you dosing it? So the dosing that we, the initial studies that we did were really modeled after the Zyfaxin studies. We know that if you have significant bloating after you eat, and you've had it for maybe a period of time, I know that you may have a high bacterial burden. Doing two capsules three times a day for 10 to 20 days. Our clinical studies were for 14 days, showed that well over 85% of the people are, are really going to improve. The hardest part is that we have, um, as, you, as you know, most patients want to take something and just get better. So even when we were doing the Zyfaxin studies, Dr. Pimentel discovered that taking um, 220 milligrams was not sufficient. Taking it twice yeah. a day was not sufficient. He had a exponentially higher result by doing it three times a day. Mm -hmm. So based off those models, that's kind of where we went with it. And we're having similar results from our original studies. Uh, you know, we've been out for a little while now. We're, I think we're two years out. And I encourage all kinds of feedback. We have a hundred percent money back guarantee. I just want to know, did you take it right? Mm -hmm. Tell me what didn't work. I'm not telling you that I have the best thing in the entire world. I'm telling you that as a group, as a tribe, we can figure this out. Right. And if you learn something, I want to know about it. If my stuff doesn't work on you, tell me because I want to figure out what is it about you that didn't work. So two, three times a day for 10 to 20 days until you feel better. Most people um, at that point either take it daily as a digestive supplement for the polyphenol effect or, or they just wait for you know, symptoms to return and you know, a small percentage of people will have a dysmotility disorder where they'll have to rotate it. Um, but a lot of the people that I did the original studies on, they're still fine. So, oh, that's great. Did you, did you, I mean, you didn't do in your studies, you didn't change diet. Is that correct? Did not change diet in the studies. I'm having better results with people. It's funny. Maybe I'm having better results because it's true. Maybe it's because I'm a little bit passionate about certain diets. I have learned um, that I just feel better on a gluten-free diet. Mm -hmm. So I, I just tell my patients, look, I feel better on it. Maybe you should consider doing this. And they get great results. So it's both the product and maybe they start thinking about their lifestyle. Maybe they start moving to something different. Maybe it's bigger than just the product. Maybe we start getting people thinking functionally about what they're going to do for the rest of their life. Right, right. Well, I mean, of course, gluten is one of the big, quote, FODMAPs. I mean, mm -hmm. just the fact that you actually were successful without dietary change, and then, you know, now you're doing it with suggesting a gluten-free diet and getting good outcome. I mean, we're doing, you know, I'll, I'll put people on more restrictive diets than you're doing. I mean, it's just nice to hear that um, that you're seeing good outcome in, in what you're doing. Yeah. I'm, 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 I guess I'm a little bit, I'm being a little, um, uh, I'm withholding, let's put it this way. <laughs> so the deal is that the person I talked about earlier, Brandy, yes. I ended up diagnosing her as being celiac. So through the years when we would go out to lunch out of, out of respect, we would go to a, to a gluten-free restaurant and I would eat gluten-free, and then I would come back to my office to see the rest of the patients. And she pointed out to me, she's like, hey, we're not doing the whole, I got to go back to the office like right now kind of thing. Wow. And I'm like, what? And she's like, haven't you noticed that since you quit eating gluten, you don't have this like panic moment? Emergency. You have to see. <laughs> yeah. And so I, have, I was in complete denial of the fact that half the time I was seeing people in the afternoon, and I felt worse than they did, and they were making an appointment to see me. So wow. the whole, the whole gluten-free thing is hits a little too close to home. And I've talked to a lot of people about that where I've talked to, I have a lot of triathletes, um, high end athletes, and we start talking they're like, yeah, when I get into a race and I start taking my supplement, I have to pull over and use the porta potty and whatever. Mm. And you know, we start, it, it, you start realizing, Oh, what you take in does that. So mm -hmm. as long as I eat, um, gluten, if, or if I'm going to eat gluten or cheat, I can have a little atrantil and I can actually have some gluten. Mm -hmm. 
with no issues. So we know that there's some component with that. That is pretty neat. That's good. To, that's actually a really nice way to consider using it. Are you ever suggesting to patients who've got really, really refract? I mean, you know, methane SIBO is, is a pain in the butt, quite frankly. I mean, so are you, are you ever going higher than the two, um, three times a day? Have you experimented? That is a great question because my whole practice right now is essentially an ongoing case study. Yeah. What I get are people that have, I mean, forever I had this ACE in my hole where I could just, you know, when nobody knew about it, you know, they'd make an appointment and I, you know, I would, they'd, they'd come to me, patients would come to me and they'd be labeled as irritable bowel. And the first thing I'd say is I don't believe in IBS. We're missing something. What are yeah. we missing? Is it food sensitivity? Is it bacterial overgrowth? Is it an occult Crohn's? Is it celiac? Whatever. Yeah. But they love to hear the fact that I'm not going to dismiss them. Mm-hmm. Well, the evolution of my practice is they've already seen everybody else and they show up holding my box and they're like, I'm still sick. What are you going to do now? And so we've gone through a bunch of different things where we're looking at it. Certainly, I've had... Um, let's just, I'll, I'll throw out really quick and we can talk about this in a minute, but like I'll have a breath test where somebody will have a very high methane level early on or very late. And I'll realize, okay, that tells us where the bacteria is growing. Let's modify what we're doing. You're going to need a higher dose or more repetitive dosing. Uh-huh. So I've had multiple people that have actually, they keep coming to me because you know, they've been every place else or whatever. And, you know, and I'm still willing to try. I mean, yes, yes. I, all of a sudden, it's just like a month into it. They're like, hey, doc, you're not going to believe it, but it's finally kicking it. Yeah. Like, really? And I just say it with as much confusion. I just look at them and go, well, good. I'm excited, but, um, you know, that's fascinating. So, you know, we're just trying to collect the data on all this. And then okay. other people that, have, um, that don't get better at all, then I find out that they're having methane peaks really early on. Maybe the drugs or maybe the product is not dissolving quick enough. Huh. Including and neomycin, you know, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, then what do you, I mean, okay, so then, so it's worth trying higher doses in that, in, in, you know, three times a day, but then we might also suggest to somebody, why don't you take, you know, one capsule every hour? I mean, how, like, how would I think about it when I hit somebody who's really refractory? I mean, do you okay. actually have them open up the capsule if you want to, if you want to improve the, um, immediate impact i mean i don't know just like give me give me some ideas because i know folks are are wanting it actually i am (laughs) am for my practice so i just want to pick your brain what do you what do you suggest okay so everything comes down to you know the same thing we're taught back in medical school it all comes down to history right so let me hear what's going on let's let's talk about what's happening are you getting any relief from your bloating number one do you bloat after you eat and I have a lot of people that they're like, no, 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 I'm bloated all the time. Look, I'm bloated. And they grab themselves and you're like, yeah. okay. And then you start realizing there could be other things going on. I have a lot of people, I have all kinds of other diagnoses, carcinoid tumors, sure. you know, strictures, okay. things like that, that they've been labeled IBS. And it's, I kind of feel it's my job to make sure that we don't miss something. And I'm finding some weird stuff. So let's exclude all those people. Yeah, exclude where I do, the zebras. Yeah, exclude yeah. the zebras, yeah. So now we're back to these people that really sound, they look like a SIBO person, they quack like a SIBO person, they're clearly a SIBO person. So why aren't they getting better? That is when I actually institute my breath test. I don't start with the breath test. Okay. Because if they really act like somebody is a SIBO person, then the breath test, a recent, well, unfortunately, a recent, um, at the end of last year, there was a consensus statement by Dr. Pimentel and William Che and um, Dr. Rao and all these guys that are kind of thought leaders in my field. Their consensus statement on bacterial overgrowth breath tests was ultimately <laughs> there's a lot of heterogeneity with the test, the sensitivity and specificity. Hmm. Is all over the map, and there's so many variables that can affect it, but it's the best thing that we have. So I don't completely hang my hat on it, but what I really like to do is the person that is disciplined enough to go through everything, they're not getting better. That's when I like to do it. And then we can determine those things like, do you have a high peak? Is this Dr. Pimentel will say that if you have a methane positive, then the sensitivities goes way up. 
Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's kind of variable. But I can at least sit there and go, okay, look, you're at least having a peak very late. Maybe we need a higher dose for you. Maybe we need more frequent dosing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need um, adjuvant therapy. So atrantil plus neomycin if it's methane. Mm-hmm. If it's a hydrogen producer, atrantil plus zyfaxin if we want to. Mm-hmm. Those are the two pharmacologic agents that I can use. We always talk about, okay, maybe we're getting rid of the bacteria during the day, but when you go to bed at night, you don't have that housekeeper phenomenon or the phase three contraction. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the um, premises that Dr. Pimentel described originally that you can have this area of your small intestine that doesn't move when you sleep. Every time we go to bed, we have this right. big rapid contraction from the stomach down to the colon, the housekeeper. Well, if you don't have a housekeeper, the bacteria can grow. So you might want to add a motility agent when you go to bed at night. Erythromycin, we used to use Zelnorm. Some of the functional medicine doctors like using Iberogast. Mm-hmm. Those are a few little tricks. And then since I've been going around lecturing a little bit, I've met some, um, you know, I've met some fantastic people. Um, there's a guy named, um, an author and a big paleo expert named Rob Wolf. Mm-hmm. And I did, I, did, uh, I did Rob's podcast and him and I have kept in contact. And he contacted me and said, hey, I'm having really good success with Saccharomyces boulardii plus Atrantil. Yeah. And I went, wow, that's so interesting. I've never thought of that. And then I found, I went to a meeting. Um, uh, I think you had JJ Virgin on your show. I, she's, she's head of a, of, of a group that I belong to where it's just uh, healthcare entrepreneurs. And I met a New Zealand, a um, naturopath who her specialty was in Saccharomyces. And she took the opportunity to explain, oh, how well Saccharomyces would augment Atrantil because it works on secretory IgA. Oh my gosh, now we're yeah. starting to have this whole, you know, if the physiology matches, then we can fix the pathophysiology. And I'm not playing the knee-jerk reaction, show me the studies. I'm saying right. that makes sense. Let's try it. It's safe. It's been there. So. Well, and incidentally, there actually are some studies on SIBO and, uh, excuse me, on Saccharomyces and IgA. But, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate you moving beyond <laughs> you know, not dismissing it based on the pile. Yeah so, yeah, so she came up with some great data on this whole IgA and Saccharomyces. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a moving pendulum, and I want to learn. I mean, I want to continue to, you know, Absolutely. develop things. And every time you – I mean, you probably see it when you do meetings. When you have podcast guests, you probably learn a ton. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why I'm sitting here picking your brain. I mean, believe me. <laughs> and I'm about to summarize. <laughs> okay, so you're using Atrantil in both hydrogen and methane producers. Sometimes if they're hydrogen and they're, and they're not responding to Atrantil alone, you might add Zyfaxin. Um, you'll add neomycin if it's indicated. Um, and now you're practicing Atrantil with Sacra. You're trying out Atrantil with Saccharomyces, as Rob Wolf has done in this Australia. Um, ND. And you're also mm-hmm. considering higher dosing and more frequent dosing of Atrantil. So did I kind of corral together what you Correct. Done? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's a, it's a completely moving, moving right. target. And then, and then the, you know, the next layer that we're getting into is the whole idea that SIBO creates inflammation, inflammation, yes. mess with mast cells, mast cells release histamine yes. and tryptase and all this. And so I just, uh, you know, every time I get around anybody who's an expert in this, I just pick their brain. And um, so histamine, I was, this past meeting I was at, there's a um, a, a really uh, a fantastic person who has a website called Healing Histamine, Yasmina Eccleston, and she suffered from it. And it's so fascinating that when somebody suffers from something, even if they don't have a medical background for it, they can, you know, that's the, you have to learn it. Otherwise you're going to die. And so she's got this website that kind of explains that. So now I'm getting into the whole aspect of how do we stabilize these mast cells? And And what are you looking at out of curiosity? Well, that's, there's, you know, we've got quercetin, luteolin, Mm -hmm. and we've got chromalin sodium, which is gastrochrom, and we've got some different histamine markers. Have you experimented with diamine oxidase? I'm sure she talked to you about that. She did, and I have not. Diamine oxidase, I've just viewed as a lab test. Um, Can you get it as a supplement? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Really? 
Yeah, okay. you sure can. And I'll, I'll, I can, yeah, you did. Yeah, there's a, yeah, in fact, I think it's original research again was in um, animals, <laughs> you know, animal, <laughs> animal, um, I don't know if it was ruminants, but some kind, it was animal feed. But um, yeah, diamine oxidase is available. Incidentally, speaking of research tests, are you, is there any time that you're considering actually doing the Pimentel's um, antibody tests, the IBS check test? Have you used that at all? Oh yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so what you're referring to is the IBS check test. That's the anti-vinculin and anti-CDT antibodies. So yes. basically what I said earlier was that you can have SIBO due to an infection, antibiotics, or stressful situation. He discovered that when you have an infection, Salmonella, Shigella, something like that, the body produces antibodies. So if you were to visualize this, imagine the thing that I mentioned earlier, the dendrite. So if you get yeah. a Shigella infection, your dendrite reaches up, grabs it, hands it to a B cell. The B cell sounds the alarm, goes, oh my gosh, this is a pathogen, mobilize the forces, hands it to a T cell, memory cell, and the beautiful cascade of immunology happens, and then an antibody is made. That antibody, are the soldiers that gets released. So now we've mobilized our troops, the soldiers are out there and they kill all the Shigella and they save our lives. That's fantastic. What's really uh, odd is that on our pacemaker cells, that's the, the electrical current from point A to point B, mm -hmm. they have similar structure to the Shigella so we have these soldiers that are so excited to kill these organisms that they run around, they go, ah, this is awesome. We finally got mobilized. And then they look over at these electrical towers that kind of look like the organism they were fighting mm -hmm. and they attach to the tower. Mm -hmm. So now those antibodies prevent the current to go from point A to point B. That is a fascinating theory that essentially that's autoimmune disease in a right. nutshell. We've right. produced antibodies. Nobody talks about it, but it is essentially the IBS check is the antibodies for that. The problem is, is that it's only about 20% of the people that have the infection. So right. 80% of the people won't do that. I like it when I need to sit with somebody and go, why do I have recurrent bouts? Why do I take it? I'm good for two to three months. And then power comes back. Yes. That's when I can sit there and go, look, unfortunately, you have antibodies being produced that try to attack your cell towers. They try to attack your electrical towers. And over time, it allows bacteria to grow again. So it's more of a test that I use to say, look, we, this like, is the battle we're going to have to fight. Mm -hmm. Periodically, we're just going to have to treat this. You are not doing anything right or wrong as an individual you have antibodies. Yeah. Nobody looks at a rheumatoid arthritis person and says, you're doing something wrong. It's your body's attacking your joints. Crohn's person, your body's attacking your intestines. In this particular case, your body's attacking your uh, electrical current cells in the intestines and allowing bacteria to grow. Got it. So that's like a tertiary investigation. I mean, I, I, when it first came out, I was pretty excited about it and I tried it on a number of patients and I've never seen a positive, but you know, you're saying that maybe 20% of people will show up and you really only want to consider it in people who are super refractory. I do it for the people that are or relapse. Yeah. yeah okay. Relapse. Yeah. And this is, this is where we can, and that gets into the whole thing that, you know, make sure you don't have any structural problems. At some point, you got to get an x-ray on it. Mm -hmm. Make sure they don't have any duodenal diverticulum, jejunal diverticulum, which allows it to grow. Make sure that they don't have altered anatomy. A ruin Y gastric bypass will do it. Make sure that there's, mm. they're not severe diabetics. All these things predispose to recurrent SIBO. You know, SIBO has become kind of the, the new thing that we, or I guess a lot of patients have labeled themselves with. Mm -hmm. But yeah. SIBO, when I was in training, was really limited to a very small percentage of people. And it was those that would qualify by having altered anatomy, severe diabetes, possibly scleroderma, things like that. So, Do you think that there is an actual true increase in the incidence of SIBO or we're just putting our um, spotlight on it? 
Oh boy. Okay, so we're going to open up this Pandora's box. <laughs> In our last few minutes, I'm actually, but you know, you're just throwing out really interesting. And the other question I have is, are you, I mean, are you accepting referrals? I mean, it sounds like you're a really good diagnostician. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if I'm a good diagnostician. I think what I am is I'm a good non thorough doctor. I will at least listen and try. And then I feel really bad if, I can't figure it out because, um, but, but the beauty is like when I go to a meeting like this, I sat there and I hate to sit there and talk shop the whole weekend, but whenever I get a chance to meet with, I was telling you before we started that there was a lot of IFM doctors there and I'm like, oh my gosh, tell me what you do with that. I've never like, like you're saying, <laughs> I, I didn't know you did diamine oxidase. Yes, I'm going to use that. <laughs> um, I do believe that we are seeing tons more of this. Yeah. And we can, I do not want to be the conspiracist or the, any of those other things, but we can just even begin to discuss the way that we manufacture our food. And let's talk about the amylase tryptase inhibitors that we put in the GMO foods, which have now been shown to cause intestinal permeability. And we now know that the gluten results in zonulin production, which is causes intestinal permeability. Yes. Uh, all these things result in inflammation. So I think that it is going to get worse before it gets better. I was in, um, I took my family to Spain this summer and I was just absolutely shocked. I'm walking around and it seemed like 70% of the people were smoking and they were, you know, they weren't obsessed about their weight or anything like that. And they were eating dinner at night and we'd wake up and have breakfast and it was bread and cured meats and cheese. And mm -hmm. then you come back and you realize we Americans have the highest diabetes, coronary artery disease, cerebral vascular. And I just kind of came back from a country where they were chain smoking and eating at midnight and outliving us. Mm -hmm. What's going on with that? Right. Something. Right. Now, one of the things I did look into is the polyphenol content between the two countries. Mm -hmm. Spaniards typically eat about 10 times as much polyphenols as we do. Hmm. And I believe that the polyphenols, which is what makes up our those are the those are the molecules in the Mediterranean diet, which have been shown to be the anti-aging, anti-inflammatory, and mm -hmm. basically anti-everything, then we open packages which are filled with refined carbs and all this other stuff and yeah. other countries eat colorful foods. Right, right. right. And, you know, I think that, you know, it, it all comes down to your health starts in the gut. You don't really need to take supplements. You don't need to do anything if you're eating appropriately. So that's a really great point. So your money's on polyphenols. I just, I'm absolutely thrilled with this cool story on Atrantil, but you know what? As we just come to our our close here, I just you I, you're buzzing with ideas. I love it. I love to see somebody, especially with your research background, you know, jump into our world and start fusing the boat two of them because you're just you know you're going to come up with some cool ideas. So what what are where are you headed in the research world? What are you thinking about right now, Kara? I got to tell you, I went to a functional medicine meeting, and I heard Alessio Fasano, who I'm yeah, sure yeah, there you go. Sure. He talked, he talked about the epidemic of obesity and autism and he linked that to intestinal health. And then I go to paleo FX and I listen to David Perlmutter yep. who, you know, wrote grain brain mm -hmm. and he has all this data about dementia and gut health. Mm -hmm. My passion right now is really heading towards brain protection. Mm -hmm. I've got friends that have played in the NFL. I've got friends that have children with autism. I've got family members with dementia. Mm -hmm. If we, if I could sit there and just tie that one thing in where we can help some of those people, my next, my next product or my next research, wherever this goes is really going to be about brain health. And that means cradle to grave. Let's, why is there an autism epidemic? Yeah, why is there a dementia epidemic? Brain health, you mean, are you looking like if you're going to go to the, into the gut, I mean, are you talking about a, a product for intestinal permeability and in so doing preserving the brain or are you actually zooming towards things that are going to be crossing the blood brain barrier? I mean, are you moving out of your realm of gastroenterology <laughs> into neurology? Or are you thinking about addressing brain health through the gut? 
addressing brain health through the gut, cool. teaming up with some other people that can sort of fill mm-hmm. in the gaps mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm not a neurologist, but I do realize that when you go to lectures and you watch people that are like Perlmutter and he says yeah. it all comes down to the gut. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wow. Well, and you know what? Researching a a product for permeability that you actually really get some solid biomarkers and and show baseline and then follow up and you're looking at maybe zonulin and lactulose mannitol, whatever you think are the gold standards for addressing it. I mean, rock on. We believe you me, we will all be paying attention. So I hope that's, you know, where you go. You, the fun part about this experiment, and I mean the experiment meaning I did clinical research, developed this product, having some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot about myself. And what I really realized is, is that I love the pursuit of something that can make a difference. Yeah. I joke around because I have a, you know, Atrantil has become a company and, you know, I'm smart enough to know I'm stupid. So I hired a CEO and I'm director of operations. And it's very funny because I think I frustrate my team at times because I'll do this. I'll be like, Oh my God, I went to this lecture and I saw this thing. Whoa. Right. 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 Like people depend on this. We've got, ins- we have to, you know, we're like 20 people are working for us now. You got to pay them. <laughs> bills. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Stop yeah. it. <laughs> no, I'm sure they appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are advantages to a little ADD, a controlled amount of ADD. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how things get done. Um, And Dr. Brown, it's been such a pleasure to meet you. And um, I am a fan of the product. And I, you know, I do, I think it works. And I enjoy, I'm, I'm appreciative of these new little pearls to think about in conjunction with it. And you know, I look forward to meeting you in person, maybe at the IFM annual conference. I'm always there. And um, you know, I'll be paying attention to what you guys, what you guys think of next. Dr. Fitzgerald, thank you so much for having me on your show. And uh, yeah, we're 100% going to be at your annual conference. I was mentioning to you that the, uh, I think the topic this year is about mm-hmm. gut. It is. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm showing up with bells on there. So <laughs> wonderful. All right.